And welcome to Catholics Coast to Coast. I'm your host, Ace McKay, where each and every week we get to really spend time into the deeper conversations happening at Podcast Central when you go to EWTNRadio.com slash radio. Gives you a lot more details and also great programs that you can take with you anywhere, anytime when you just check us out online. We want to jumpstart into what probably already started your day, which was the readings from today's Mass. Letters from Home gives us a look as the St. Paul Center's Daily Scripture Reflections help us to understand today's readings better. Hi there, and we'll this do is Dr. That John Bergman we from the St. Paul Center Catholics for Coast to Coast. Franciscan University of Steubenville. Coming to you on this August the 4th, a Friday, the memorial of St. John Vianney, priest. St. John Vianney, pray for us. What a great example of humility, um, a slave of the confessional, course granted with um, that mystical insight into souls such that people would come from all around to confess to, th- to him because he was a doctor of souls and a patron saint of parish priests. What a great example. We need many, many, many St. John Vianney's in our present day. Many men who will commit themselves to pastoring and caring for the, the souls of a, of a city, of a community. So we pray the Heavenly Father to, uh, to send us uh, many more young men who will be inspired by St. John Vianney's example. Well, in our, um, our scripture readings for today, uh, we have an interesting set of texts uh, that don't obviously connect, but there's a deep connection between them, as there always is. In our first reading, we have Leviticus 23, which is basically a description of the liturgical calendar of the Old Covenant, uh, the Mosaic Covenant. And then we have Matthew 13 in the Gospel, uh, where Jesus' townspeople, um, his fellow uh, Nazareans in Nazareth, uh, take offense at him because he's just a homeboy, so to speak. He's just a hometown boy. Um, And he comes back and he teaches with such authority, and they have a hard time uh, respecting this um, young son of their own uh, little town because they saw him when he was in diapers, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So uh, let's look at these readings more closely. The, the Leviticus 23 reading is a little bit long, but it describes uh, the, the, the great um, feast days of the Old Covenant liturgical calendar. And the three great pilgrimage feasts, that is, feasts that required pilgrimage to the holy place, whether that was at the tabernacle or later at the Jerusalem temple, these feasts were as follows. In the spring, um, at the beginning of the year, which usually fell in our month of March at some time, possibly April, um, at, the, at the beginning of spring, you have the Passover and the Passover commemorated um, the uh, the coming in of the of the first grain. Okay, the uh, the the first grain, which was the barley, which was the first to ripen. When you started harvesting the barley, that always happened around Passover time, and so it was a celebration of the beginning of the harvest. Um, you know, the agricultural calendar is a little bit different in the land of Israel than it is in North America since you plant in the fall and uh, your crops grow through the winter because the winters are warm 
there, and then you are already harvesting uh, in the spring. And um, so the Passover celebrated the natural occurrence of the beginning of the harvest, but it also celebrated the exodus uh, and, and God's freedom of his people from bondage. And so there was an element of the natural order as well as an element of uh, salvation history that were celebrated in this feast. And then you counted seven uh, weeks from Passover, and after seven weeks, um, you had the Feast of Weeks. Um, and that celebrated the end of the harvest. That was the end of the wheat. The wheat was the last to ripen. And as you were harvesting the last of the wheat, that typically coincided with the Feast of Weeks. And in uh, this is also called Pentecost because seven weeks gives you uh, roughly 50 days. And Pentecost means 50 in Greek. And so the Feast of Pentecost celebrated in the natural order the end of the grain harvest, but in salvation history, it celebrated the arrival at Sinai and the giving of the law and the forming of the covenant between God and his people at, at the foot of Sinai. Because if you do the math in the book of Exodus, you find that they arrive at Sinai 50 days after the Passover. And so uh, the... Uh, Feast of Passover was early spring, and the Feast of Pentecost was late spring or early summer. And then you waited till the fall, till around September, and then you had the last of the three uh, feasts, and that was the Feast of Booths. And this was the uh, fruit harvest, especially the grape harvest, which was associated with wine. And so it was very festive. Um, and in terms of the natural order, it celebrated the incoming or the ingathering of the grape harvest and the, the vintage or the making of wine. And in salvation history, uh, it celebrated the building of the tabernacle uh, in the wilderness and God's coming down in a cloud and inhabiting the tabernacle. And then the ancient Israelites extended that, and they also, ex they also celebrated the successor of the tabernacle, which was the temple that um, Solomon built in Jerusalem, which was destroyed and then rebuilt uh, afterwards by the exiles, <clears throat> and indeed rebuilt again by Herod the Great. So the Feast of um, Booze, or Feast of Tabernacles, it can also be described, was the great uh, temple feast. And so... What's the message for us? Well, we see how in the Old Covenant, the different feasts were tied both to the natural calendar, celebrating God's natural goodness in, in the cycle of cycles of nature and agriculture, but also tied to uh, sacred history, commemorating great events in sacred history. And to this day, we do that. You know, you'll notice that our great feasts also occur at significant times of year. You know, obviously when when the day begins to get longer after the winter solstice, that's, you know, the, the beginning of the growth of light. And so that's when we celebrate the feast of our Lord, the feast of the nativity. And um, likewise, uh, in midsummer, uh, when the days begin to grow shorter, we celebrate the feast of John the Baptist, because he, of course, said, I must become less and he must become greater. And on the day, roughly the day that the day begins to get less, we celebrate the feast of John the Baptist. And so on. So the church has set this up so that we give thanks to God for 
the natural cycles of the year, um, but also for a salvation history, because God the Creator is also God the Redeemer. And throughout this, um, throughout this uh, festival calendar in Leviticus 23, you can see the, the frequent recurs- recurrence of sevens. So the seventh day and seven weeks, and you shall celebrate the, the feast on, on the seventh month, and it shall continue for seven days, etc. What's all the meaning of seven? Well, seven is our number of oath, and it's the number of covenant. And the, the frequency of the number seven in the liturgical calendar is to remind us again and again that this is all because of God's covenant with us, which is his family bond with us, because he's a loving father, and he's, he's invited us into the family of God. Now, just briefly on the gospel, Matthew uh, 13, 54 through 58, this is after uh, the parables of the kingdom uh, earlier in Matthew, and Jesus' townsfolk are offended at him. Where did this man get such wisdom? Is he not the carpenter's son? Is, this not, is not his mother named Mary? And his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas. Of course, that term brothers is being used in a very typically Jewish fashion to just refer to male kinsmen. We can find out from the Gospels themselves that James and Joseph, at least, are not the uh, birth children of Mary uh, the mother of our Lord, but of a different Mary who's identified as the wife of Cleophas or Clophus. The tradition tells us that these were the, the cousins of our Lord. James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas were all sons of, um, of the man Alphaeus, also known as Cleophas. Um, he was uh, married to a woman named Mary as well. There were lots of Marys in the first century because of a popular queen. And um, this was the sister-in-law of the Blessed Mother. Uh, she was wed, of course, to St. Joseph, and St. Joseph's brother was this Alphaeus, also called Cleophas, who also had a wife uh, named Mary. And these are cousins of our Lord mentioned here. Are not his sisters all with us? This would be his female relatives of the Lord. Where did the man get all this? And Jesus says, a prophet is not without honor except in his native place. And he can't do many works there because of their lack of faith. And that's really the message for us today is to avoid this lack of faith. We can really limit the working of God in our life by our failure to trust him. So often we come to Mass even and we receive the Eucharist and nothing happens to us in a large part because we don't expect anything to happen to us. We don't think that Jesus in the Eucharist when we receive him is really going to give us grace and, and really make any difference in our lives. We're just kind of like checking a box, maybe, to get to Mass on a weekend or even to get to Mass on a daily basis. And why just this is just something I do. And so we check the box and we have low expectations and our low expectations are met. We need to raise our expectations and we need to have faith in Jesus that at every Eucharist, He's really truly able to transform us and make a dramatic change in our life. And that power, that grace that he offers us is available at all times um, through prayer and through asking him for it, provided we are not in mortal sin. And even if we are in mortal sin, let's run, not walk, but run to confession and get rid of that and get back into a state of grace. It's actually a form of disrespecting Jesus not to trust him. And uh, let's keep that in mind. Maybe it's really hard for us to trust the Lord 
But when we realize that, oh, you know, I'm kind of indirectly offending him by not trusting in him, maybe that will give us the motivation to, to uh, you know, put our trust in the Lord because we really, we really do love, honor, and respect Jesus Christ. We want him to be honored and respected. So, Lord, uh, we do believe, Lord, but help our unbelief, as many have said before us. And this is Dr. John Bergsma from the St. Paul Center for Biblical Theology and the Franciscan University of Steubenville, wishing you a happy and holy feast day of St. John Vianney. Getting a better understanding of this week's readings of the Mass. If you want to check out the Letters from Home podcast, you can check it out. It is a daily episode. Just go to Podcast Central at EWTN.com slash radio. And I'm Ace McKay. Glad to be with you again this week as we're going to take a short break. And then when we come back, Pre-Canna with the Pope is helping with today's episode as Damien and Monica really help us to learn how to navigate raising children with special needs and inside our faith. So we'll do that coming up next on Catholics Coast to Coast. The destination for great Catholic audio programming is EWTN Podcast Central, featuring the best of EWTN radio, as well as faith-filled podcasts from our friends and affiliates across the nation, all in one place, all free. If it's central to the faith, you can find it on EWTN Podcast Central. It's like podcast heaven. Visit EWTN.com slash radio slash podcasts today. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us again for another episode of Pre-Cana with the Pope. Um, we are so happy to have guests tonight. Um, we have the O'Connors, Monica and Damian O'Connor. Um, they are such a blessing to our family and um, we're really excited to just have a conversation with them about their family life and um, they have young adult children now so they have wealth of experience and knowledge to share with us so we're we're really happy to hear from them but I want to give them a chance to introduce themselves and share who they are and why we asked them to join us. Well, first, thank you both uh, for inviting us. We are very humbled to be here and be part of this. Uh, my name is Monica O'Connor. Uh, we have been married for almost 26 years. And like Monica said, we have three children, our son, Damien, who is 23. And we have twin daughters, Mary and Anna, who are 21. They'll be 22 in October. Um, I do work full time. I work for a local nonprofit, I'm the vice president of facilities and IT, which is uh, we work with adults with disabilities and providing housing for them. And I handle their property development and growth operations of the agency. And I'm Damien O'Connor, and uh, Monica is clearly my better half, and I married up, that's for sure. And uh, I'm very blessed to work at the Knights of Columbus. I'm the Vice President of Evangelization and Faith Formation, the position I never dreamed I would have, didn't even know it existed. And it all came from one day just saying, can you imagine if we could evangelize these 2 million men around the world, what that would, what would, what that would accomplish? And I said, I think it changes the world. And so it's been almost six years and, um, I get paid to evangelize. So it doesn't, it really doesn't get much better than that. And, uh, we are truly Mm -hmm. honored to be, uh, 
on this podcast with you. We've made a whole ton of mistakes we're happy to share, and hopefully people can can learn from them. <laughs> well, Thanks. I think that's one of the reasons why I'm so excited to have you guys on, because you guys are just so authentic and real and honest and um and not like in an Instagram authentic, real and honest way. Like you're, yeah. you're actually <laughs> authentic, real and honest. Yeah. Um, so I'm, and I apologize. I know we sent you questions in advance, but if the conversation goes in different directions, totally cool. Um, yeah. So don't, no, no pressure to answer any of them. Um, and so one that came off the top of my head is I wanted to watch like people came to listen to one thing and now they're going to hear something else, but I have a question, not a question. I want to thank you. Number one, for investing in the young priests in our diocese. Mm. We, we're not going to name names, but two of them help at our youth group now. They are just absolute rock stars. And I think um, a lot of people don't realize how much support young priests need as they're going through seminary and as they're starting their, 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 um, their priesthood. And I just know that you and your family have done that. And just, I, I don't know if you could speak a little bit about that before we get into other things. Like what, drove you to, to invest in priests and, and what is it like welcoming, welcoming them into your house? Well, thank, thank you for bringing that up. It's when I used to work for the diocese of Bridgeport, I got to meet lots of priests and many of them became very close friends. And I realized very quickly, it sounds so simple, but I guess it's not for a lot of people. They need a break too. So they're, they're always on always. Um, and I just started inviting them over little by little, saying, you know, you're welcome to come at any time. And, you know, the first time it feels a little more formal. Then they realize the house is a bit chaotic. You know, we, we just are who we are. And and then we would go out and sit on the porch and maybe have a cigar and a scotch together kind of thing. And, and it's not that you have to do that, but it became like um, a place where they could just be themselves and Mm. And some of them have given a key to the house and I've said, listen, just, and some have said, just come over. And they've called sometimes 1030 at night because they just need to come talk to somebody. And uh, yeah, and then we're happy to do that because they, they, they need a place to be able to go and just hang and be, especially with another guy. And they, they, they're with the family, but it off the evening always ends with just um, father so-and-so, or maybe a few priests are here and we're just hanging out and talking. And it's uh they have the seal. I call it the vault at our house. It's just it's we're just having a conversation and uh, and it's and we keep it very private. And Monica, what was what's that been like for you seeing seeing the young men and 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 now you get to know them as they grow up and and yeah, our older young men. <laughs> so I I think knowing Damien, he had a very positive role model of a priest as a teenager. And who was, who gave him a profound experience of, of what it is to be a priest, of what it is to be a mentor, of what it is to be a Catholic man. And I knew how foundational that was for him. Um, and he is the priest that married us. Uh, we loved him dearly. He was a wonderful, wonderful man. Um, so the opportunity, it was new uh, for me to be able to experience opening up our home to priests and, and having them be part of the family activity of the evening. Um, but I, I understood and I agree with Damien, the need for them to just be treated as a person, which means, Hey, go grab your plate. You know, it's time for dinner <laughs> and, you know, a simple gesture like that. And, um, just having conversation, 
Um, having a meal, dinner time for us has always been very important. Um, that is something I always grew up having, uh, fresh cooked dinner at home and being part of a family around the table. So for them to be a part of that and what a great witness for my children to have that. They are very comfortable. They've had that in their life for so long and it, it doesn't even phase them to, oh, you know, father so-and-so is coming over and that's such a wonderful blessing. And we've had very spontaneous moments of maybe one of the kids asking for confession or one of us asking for confession and having that experience as well occur in our home. Um, so it's been really, really beautiful and many blessings for, I hope for all the priests, but also for us as a family and for me as a wife and a mother to serve a priest, but also a friend and someone who we mm. had become part of our family. So, yeah, mm. that's amazing. I love just like the image of the two of the two vocations of like religious life and family life coexisting and being integrated and um, right. Because this is, this is our path to holiness. That doesn't mean that we're, we're driving on separate highways, right? Like we're, we're all in this together. And I, I remember one of those moments for me in our life when father so-and-so came over and, and heard our oldest son's first confession Mm. out on the porch. Mm. And I just was like, Mm wow, just in my home, like this is a safe space for everybody to like, just to receive grace. And, mm-hmm. and um, mm-hmm. so that, yeah, I just, I want to affirm beautiful. everything that you're saying. We, we don't have that same open door policy quite yet. There's just so many crumbs all over the place all the time that I'd be <laughs> too, too many locks in the door. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I just want to affirm for any listeners that like, just invite your priest over for dinner, like have them, absolutely have them over, hang out with them, go out to the diner with them or whatever, mm-hmm. like just to, mm-hmm. yeah, befri- befriend them and, and good thing, really beautiful things can happen. So mm-hmm. Monica said, uh, you know, yes. grab your plate and cause it's always like buffet style here. And I know that sounds like yeah. such a, a simple thing. I swear it makes them more comfortable. Because we're not yeah. being too formal, you know, and they're like, yeah, I got this. And they just go, and it's, it's a silly little thing, but it actually, I'd, I'd like to think some of these priests that come over, they just feel like they're home. That's what they would do with, you know, yeah. when they're growing up, just grab your plate and go. And, you know, um, yeah. so it's important. They need that normalcy, you know, I, at least I think they yeah. do. Yeah. They do. And I think our home front, and we'll get more into this as we talk more, our environment is sometimes not typical. So we have a lot of spontaneous activity that occurs. And that's very much part of if you're coming over for dinner, prepare yourself because someone may leap through dancing through during dinner time. And um, it's been neat to see some of our friends who are priests, you know, just kind of go with it. And I, I do love that. So well, that, that's a great segue. Uh, do you want to tell, tell us more? We'll start there. Tell us more about why your home is, is different. So we, as we said, we have three children and Damien uh, Jr. is uh, 23 and he's on the autism spectrum and Anna and Mary are twins and Mary is also on the autism spectrum and 
her sister Anna just graduated from Benedictine, and she's actually moving back there uh, in a few days. So for her first job. So, um, but yeah, so it's it's yeah to have two kids. They're not kids anymore, but they are to us on the spectrum has been quite the adventure uh, all these years, Mm. to say the least. Yeah, and we we thought your your story. It is it good for for a lot of couples to listen to because a lot of the couples that we list, that that are our listeners are um, either they're engaged or they're just recently married and, and a lot of them are thinking of you know building a family and and, and you know oh, we want to have children um, and unfortunately I don't think a lot of them have any guidance if their child it does have a special need and and this is again you could a huge spectrum of special needs that that a child could have um, and I don't know if you could tell a little bit about um, your story and what what that was like with, with um, having your first and just going through that? Um, sure. I think for us, we were no different than any other young couple of you had your dreams and your ideas of what it would be like for your children and what would your family be. And you picture a lot of things ahead, you know, those pictures. And Damien actually did not get diagnosed until he was five. But Mary, the twins who the kids were eight. So the two pregnancies were 18 months apart. Mm -hmm. Um, Mary presented with more classic symptoms actually first. Damien was a very social child, very loving child, but we thought maybe was struggling with some attention deficit um, challenges here and there. But again, he was very engaging um, so we never thought of it. It was more Mary who started the process for us. Um, she started out fine with all the normal milestones of an infant. Um, and then at about s- seven months, hon, I mm-hmm. think it was about six, six, seven months, all of a sudden her affect, she, um, everything stopped. Her affect changed dramatically. Um, she went from making all the baby sounds to not speaking at all. Um, so it was a very dramatic change. And for me, we thought she was deaf. I, for speech. Mm-hmm. It was in. She was the first one to we, laugh. All you know, all these milestones, and then we would call her, and she'd always turn and look. And then one day, literally overnight, it stopped. And it was like autism just mm-hmm. appeared. It was it was very traumatic. So we'd say we'd yell, Mary, she wouldn't turn. So we we first took her to some uh, doctors to check her the ears. Hospital for testing, mm-hmm. and that the testing. And I took her to the testing. As soon as the testing started, she immediately was responding to all the cues. So then you kind of question yourself, and you know, there's nothing wrong with her. She can hear but you knew in your heart that there was still something wrong. And for a long time, for several months um, in that process, um, I think the effect might've started sooner. Um, we were speaking with our pediatrician who would tell us like, you're just comparing your twins. Like, you, sh- you know, don't worry, everything's mm-hmm. fine. And I rem- you know, we would tell her like, it's not fine. Something's not fine. So back and forth for quite some time. And at 18 months, huh? Mm-hmm. I'm yep. forgetting my timeline. 18 months, she was finally diagnosed. And this was months of, of fighting, um, not fighting, not physically fighting and not yelling, but trying to convince people 
Something mm. is wrong with our daughter. You know, when you have an infant who rather stay in her crib and not be held, um, who was a cuddler. Um, and as a mom, you just know that there was something wrong. Um, so at 18 months, we finally took her to a pediatric neurologist and had her tested and it was confirmed that she had autism. Mm. Um, it was a grueling exam to go through. It was about an hour and a half. It was very difficult for her. And I remember driving home. She was asleep in the car, just exhausted from the tests. And I was staring at her from the, um, the mirror. driver's mirror and, and looking at her. And... I think for that first diagnosis, it was a validation for us. Not that you're happy about the diagnosis, but you're validated that we had to push so hard to get to this point. And I think for us and something we've always talked about was we had to mourn a loss of knowing that our child wasn't normal in today's standards, there was a diagnosis and her path was drastically changing. And we had to mourn what we had hoped for. Um, and I think you have to kind of mourn that loss. You know, you, you've received a diagnosis and there's an unknown there. Um, you have to pray. But then we also quickly had to shift gears of, okay, now what do we have to do for her? Like, what's the action plan? So for us, it was important not to stay in that morning, but to also take action for our daughter um, to help her and to understand and know what we had to do and a lot of learning. And then our son was diagnosed kind of fast forward. He was diagnosed at five years old. Um, there's a lot of pieces in between there that took us time to get there. Um, he had to be tested three different times, actually. Um, his diagnosis, I can speak for myself, was almost harder for me um, because I remember thinking, and I was there when the diagnosis was given, thinking, what are the chances of two? Um, mm -hmm. But again, here's this beautiful boy who's so happy and so loving. So it was kind of the same thing, mourning and coming to terms with that. Um, and, um, but then switching gears and really putting our trust in God and in our faith. So, but that, and that took, to that. that took time. That was not overnight. We stopped going to mass yeah. for a while. Uh, mm -hmm. it's embarrassing now. It was hard with three was, kids. And we, it's embarrassing to say now, but it's true. We thought we earned better than that. We had done so much. We thought so called for the church and all these other things. I mean, it's so silly, so narrow-minded, you know, but we, we did. We stopped going for quite some time. Um, and then, of course, there was this emptiness in our lives because we weren't going to Mass. And we, you know, um, but what Monica was saying, and I don't know if this is helpful to anyone listening, but whether it's special needs or there's other issues that our kids might have um, or issues in our, you know, lots of things could be going on, but you have to, in our case, we had to mourn what we thought they would become. So we could then see the gift of God that was right there in front of us. But if you don't mourn mm -hmm. that, you'll never see the gift. So you'll meet a lot of people that are 
their whole lives are just angry at the world because of the situation with their with their children if they have special needs. And I get it. I totally get it. But you do have to mourn that and let it go because what I had in my head, this perfect picture, is not what we've been given. But now we see the, the beautiful gift that they are. Uh, but we had to go through an uncomfortable stage, you know, and how do you bring mm-hmm. these kids up in the faith? Faith is everything to us. Mm-hmm. How do you, how do you do that? You know? And, um, and it did happen, but and in ways we didn't plan on because we had to adapt our thinking or, you know, how do you teach them about the faith or give them faith formation? It was all, it was all different. And we had to, we had no idea what we were doing. So mm-hmm. we had to adapt what we thought we knew to this uh, situation. I love what you were saying at the beginning about just knowing your, your children and, and seeing even if other people couldn't see that there was something that they needed that they weren't getting. And you were like, I, I I want to, I have this desire to figure it out so that I can help them best. Right. And like, and, and that they, um, and I think that that's one of the, our hopes too, with all of these different conversations is to, like restore the confidence in spouses and in the parents that like you've got this this inside of you you know and it's and it's the grace and it's the vocation that you're in to do the to do the right thing to do what's best for your family and and a lot of times it takes advocating for one another or it takes learning like i just i know something and now i need to figure out how to like mm-hmm. put that into action right like i know that there's a rift in our relationship or i know that there's something that my child needs or i know that i'm my my prayer life is lacking like you might not be able to articulate it but you can you can tell and i think that that's something so beautiful that you're expressing that you just you knew your children so intimately well and you had this desire like just deep down in your bones to to make sure that you're caring for them the best that you could. Well, it's interesting because I think a lot of where the culture is moving in terms of parents and kids is, is trying to have parents trust the experts, which, which I, you know, I understand and we need experts so that they can guide us with things that, you know, we didn't study. Um, But I don't, I didn't realize how much advocacy being a parent required until we had our own kids and, and, you know, different illnesses and different things. And even with, you know, with, with Monica and different um, health things she's had, um, they don't give you in the, in the book, in the manual you get when you get a, when you become a parent, they don't tell you like, you're going to have to be their number one advocate at every doctor's appointment, because everyone's going to look at you and think for whatever reason, like, Oh, you're overreacting. You went on WebMD. Oh, you, you just, you got to stop going on the internet. I, I hear that all the time. Um, so I don't know if, if you're you're able to share like a little bit of what that was like advocating for your kids because I don't think young parents are encouraged enough and, and prepared enough to do that. They feel very like I don't know what to do. Just I'll just do whatever the doctor says. But remember, because yeah, I think we're we're older, we didn't have. Yes, there was the internet, but there was no Doctor Google. There was no WebMD. There was none of that stuff, and people just open up their. There. there was no. I mean, yeah, there were cell phones, but people were not like now people just go on their phone constantly and figure out why do I, what is this feeling or what's that? I mean, it's insanity. We do this to ourselves, you know, because we got to find out the answer. Um, And we, yeah, it's, it's not healthy. We're, we're actually benefited from not having all of that, you know, and we Mm -hmm. had to, yes, we had to learn to advocate, but um, 
Yeah, I'm actually happy we didn't have to go through that. You guys have so much access to so much information. It's it could be over, overwhelming. You know, it's too much yeah. at times. We're like called to light. You know, we are called. God calls us to follow Him or calls us to do a lot. Of, and sometimes you don't understand it. You just know you're being called. I guess there's a similarity there to as a parent. Um, I couldn't put exactly my finger on it at the time, but I just knew in my heart. I knew my kids. I knew my daughter. I knew what we were seeing wasn't normal. And the the need to be persistent, which is hard, which is hard to hang in there and make another appointment or find another place or take her for testing again. Um, and the, that persistence and that's where faith comes in, I think too, to give us the fuel to keep going because just as a person, I'm, I'm not that strong. I do need that fuel to keep going. And even the outcome of it all after, um, and for that particular story for us, the pediatrician, we stayed with her. She became, she was our pediatrician for our kids entire young, young life until they were, um, 21. But when the diagnosis came in and we sent her the report, she called us and she spoke to me and she had said, Monica, you were right. She's like, I was wrong. Autism was still very new Mm -hmm. at that time too. Um, but that meant the world, um, not that I was looking for an apology. I, I just, there was such a sincerity on her part as well. Um, so, and she was a mom, she's a mom too. So she actually stayed, we became friends with her. So, um, there was a lot of growth, I think for her and, uh, for us in that whole time. But I, I think to hold on and to hold to faith, to fuel, because sometimes the race is a long race. Mm. It, it's, and it takes, it can take a lot and it does take a lot out of us. And we're such weak beings. We need more than just ourselves to be able to keep going. And as parents, we will always need that fuel of faith to to be their advocates. Because whether it's them being diagnosed at 18 months or them being diagnosed with an anxiety disorder at 23, the race is still long. So I wanted to... To echo what Monica said, but add to to that as well. You know, you talk about you got to have a solid prayer life. It's true, but you have to have an intentional prayer life. Like we talk about prayer, like it's you don't forget to have breakfast today, tomorrow. Like no, 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 no. You need intentional prayer time with your spouse. Have to have it. You also need private prayer time. Um, th- but I would I would offer that the prayer time with your spouse is probably the most important thing you do. And you got to set that time. And if you got kids, uh, figure out another time. Like I, I get it. So you could be alone. If you have to get up really early, middle of the night, I don't care. But it's it's that important. And so we've done it for years at a really early hour because that's the only time we can have some privacy. And do we lose sleep? Yeah. But it's so important to pray. And that prayer is so it's intentional. But we also have to allow ourselves to be vulnerable in the prayer. It's surrendering prayer because we don't know what we're doing. 
And there's always the next issue that's coming up or this, this I'm sick, kids sick. There's so many things that happen and you, you have to be surrendering that to God. And we could bore you to tears with story after story after story of where God just provided and we did not see it coming. So many times where we just surrendered to him and because we didn't know what to do quite often with autism and God would just keep providing for us. And so there's this, and maybe it's just, maybe I'm being too harsh, but there seems to be this pressure on young Catholic couples in particular that everything has to be great all the time. You have to like give this, this image that everything's fantastic. Well, that's just silly. For a couple that's married almost 26 years, it's just silly. It's never perfect. It's, it's never exactly as you want it. And that I think we put all this pressure on ourselves to make everything seem great. And that's actually not healthy. It leads to anxiety, it leads to depression, it leads to all kinds of other issues because we're not allowing ourselves to be vulnerable. And sometimes we need to say to our friends, I need help. Or in prayer to, to our Lord, I need help. You know, But I think we're afraid to do that. Everything's got to be, we got to have it all together. And I, I'll stop with this, but Monica hates this, but I, I'll joke when people come over and they see your house looks just beautiful. And I'm like, well, that's because we just cleaned it before you came over because we don't want you to know how we really live. <laughs> But it's it's true. We have this thing, or we got to have this image. And I, I don't. And I obviously I'm joking a little, but it can become unhealthy at the same time. I think to add to that too, I think having that prayer life, it's also being vulnerable to each other, and and because you will transition back and forth of one of you may be the rock and the other one may be struggling or, and that prayer time you get to be very real and vulnerable. And I think there's a beauty that comes out of that, that strengthens the marriage as well. Um, Because you see the most vulnerable version of yourself and each other in that. And there's, there's such a, um, that's a very intimate, special time. And we've grown in our marriage uh, where we've both been, you know, we've been vulnerable with each other in prayer to say, this is really hard. We don't know what to do. Um, And to, to look at each other and say, we don't have the answers. We're putting it to God and he will get us there. Um, so I think that's important to be said too. You said that you could bore us with story after story of God providing, but can you try boring us with one story? I would love to hear like, yeah, a God glory story in the midst of mess. I'll give two. And it was at the same, it's kind of one story. It was at the same mass, but two, two stories. So, um, we were at a, a, the, this parish we used to go to was in West Haven and, uh, we had catechized them. They were too little and they had autism. Like, what do you do? We had no idea what we were doing. And um, father raised the host during, was during the consecration. And our daughter, Mary, out of nowhere, says, hi, Jesus. Mm. We never taught her that it was Jesus. We never said it was Jesus. She just knew it was Jesus. And it was extremely powerful for her to just share that. Um, I'll never forget it. And that same mass, we're going up for communion. Now I have little Damien in my hand, and he barely spoke then. He must have been, I don't know, four, 
I don't, and he says, uh, Dad, I need that. And he pointed to Father, who was distributing communion. Again, we hadn't taught him any of this stuff. So it was truly miraculous where God was just saying, it's going to be okay. And they had this, and we've come to learn, kids with special needs often have a different sense that we don't have. Those of us who are maybe mm-hmm. just mainstream or whatever you want to call it that don't have those issues, there's they can go quite deep. It'd be quite profound. They see things and sense things that the rest of us don't. At the same mass, they both acknowledged the Eucharist. It was unbelievable. Wow. Wow. That parish was the parish that helped us be able to go to mass as a family. They had a an unbelievable choir, and the music was helped the kids. And they would mm. sing or they would make their noises and, and learning to be okay with that, to be able to be at mass as a family, because previous to that, we were doing alternating shifts. We were just trying to get through a mass, right? And that parish gave us that gift to be able to reunite as a family and to be part of, you know, mass and to be okay with all this, you know, disruptions or the sounds and just be present. So that was a real gift for our family. And the choir, as she said, was huge. So when they would go up to receive communion, they would always leave one person there singing, but then they would go up first to receive. And when they'd come around, we always made sure that Mary was, well, she she wanted to sit on the end, on the right side. Mm-hmm. So they, the, it's hard to explain, but the choir was literally behind us. So when they'd go by, every one of them would high five her, every one of them. Mm-hmm. And so it became a thing. And they loved it and she loved it, you know, um, and it made her feel quite welcome there, you know, and the music feel welcome. Yeah, that's true. But it's funny how now our parish now um, really speaks to them in particular because the mass is truly prayed. The the church is beautiful. Uh, The the music is beautiful. And so they were, they respond to that kind of like all of us do, I guess, but in particular them, it, it's, it, it's, you think that they can't get something out of mass. It's quite the opposite. Truly pray the mass, truly have the best possible music. You could have sacred music. Mary has many times during mass, you look over at her and she's crying and we're, you know, now we know why she's doing it, but we used to not know why. And we'd ask her and she says, the music's so beautiful. So, yeah, God reaches out to them through beauty. It's interesting. Then through, with all due respect to the to Father, then through the homily. Like it's not connecting with her, but the yeah. music is, yeah. and the beauty is, the incense is. Like all of that, these other things that we might take for granted, it really speaks to her. And God speaks to her through that. Wow. I love that. Do you feel like that has impacted like your own prayer life and your own, your own faith life, like learning from them and witnessing their, their prayer life and their, and their, yeah, their just their experience of, of grace and of Jesus differently. Has that influenced how you guys have grown in your faith? Grown in our faith. Yes. I, I don't know if it's affected our prayer life because ours is much different than what their prayer would be, if that makes sense. Um, mm-hmm. But it yet yeah, deeply affected our, our faith, for sure. Um, I'm sorry, honey, you were going to say something. 
You know, I think I've had many moments in all the, those experiences in mass where I'm probably, you know, being a, a mom where I'm getting too caught up with, you know, don't make that sound or don't do that. And then one of those moments happens, right, where she may be crying with the music or is very moved by something. And it makes me pause. And I always, I'm humbled by that because it's a reminder to me of what truly is important. And I, I, I always feel like it's God trying to like, tell me like Monica, relax. And just, you know, Mary has it right. Like just enjoy where you're at. Enjoy me. Like she's enjoying me. So I'm always very humbled in those moments um, where she's teaching me. So. (laughs) And to be honest, this is, we're giving you the best stories. Like then there's other Sundays where they drive us nuts and we can't wait to get out of mass because we're so stressed out. Like it's, (laughs) it's the whole thing, you know. Oh, oh, Father so and so that we talked about before had had some had some merry stories too. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. What did he say? Uh, it was two about her receiving communion. Yeah. Oh yes. Oh when yeah. She re- one time she received <laughs> communion from the same um, same host that the, the priest same, used. Yep. So it was broken into said, a triangle instead of a circle. It's supposed said, to be a nope. circle, right? Yeah. Yep. And yeah, and he put it in her hand. She said, nope. She said, nope, try again. And she put it back in the ciborium and grabbed a round one. <laughs> I love that. I love that. And so we yelled at her because you're not supposed to do that. Not yell, but, you know, we're like, Mary. Yeah. So the next mass, the next Sunday, she goes up. To, it was actually a deacon. She goes up to the same deacon. And I'm like, okay, she's good. And she knew not to do that again. So doesn't he give her another triangle-shaped host? I'm like, oh. <laughs> And she doesn't put it back. She just goes, nope. It just stares at it. He looks. He goes, oh, I'm sorry, Mary. And he, he switches it for her. <laughs> <laughs> nope. Nope. Yep. Can't do yep. this. Try again. Awesome. <laughs> I love it. But we've also had very normal family moments in church, too, that we're just barely making it to the finish line. I think to be fair to all the families out there, too, very normal where you're just counting the minutes, like we are not going to make it. She is not going to make it, or she's just really struggling today. And you feel like everybody's watching you and, um, or it's, it, it can be stressful. And sometimes that happens. Sometimes there are days like that, you know, there are masses like that and we just try again yeah, and if they're work doing that, if they're trying to just get through it themselves without God, my question to them is, how's that working out for you? I mean, really, it's it it just doesn't work. You have to allow yourself to be powerless without God and just surrender to Him. You just have to. Mm. I mean, you could try the other stuff. Good luck. Let me know how that's work. I mean, it's just it just doesn't work. Uh, I understand it, but we've been doing it this too long to know that. Yeah, I got to just keep surrendering to God, but. Um, yeah, and if anything helped tonight, just uh, all glory to God for sure. It's all yeah. it's all Him. Yeah, and I think as a parent, I think for all of us, and for all of those, all of us who are blessed to be parents and and are learning or hopeful to be parents one day, 
is that there are moments of suffering in parenthood. And yet in those moments of suffering, there's such beauty that God weaves into those moments that gives us like that next breath to keep going. And no one knows suffering more than our Lord. Um, And we have had moments of suffering as parents throughout our, our years as parents. And yet in, in those very moments, we've had such some of the most beautiful, real moments of our life as parents of witnessing our children, of, and they have made us better people for having them, like each, each one of them. Um, we are just better people, and I'm so grateful for the gifts of them. So, and that's all glory to God. Well, we're grateful for your your witness and your yes to being here, and we're grateful for your, your witness and your like just invitation to come into your home and spend time with your kids and get to know them and stuff. So, we appreciate that so much. Um, so yeah, all right, everyone, thank you so much for tuning in and listening. Um, we pray that this conversation has has blessed you and inspired you, and we will see you at the next episode. Helping to understand the true needs, faith, and prayers that go for families raising kids with special needs. Thanks to Precana with the Pope. If you want to find out more on this week's discussion or future episodes, you can catch up as well at our Podcast Central section when you go to EWTN.com slash radio. We're going to start a new feature this week and give us more insights into today's readings of the Mass with our Word on the Word. The Gospel for this Sunday comes from Matthew, and it's a classic. Jesus walking on water to meet the disciples. When the disciples saw a figure coming towards their boat, they panicked. Jesus told them not to fear. Peter asked if he could walk on water too. And Jesus replied, sure. So Peter did, until he noticed the storm around him. As fear set in, he began to sink. Peter called out to Jesus to save him, and Jesus immediately caught him. He said, oh man of little faith, why did you doubt? They got in the boat together, and the storm ceased. The other disciples worshiped Jesus and said, truly, you are the son of God. This story reminds me of some advice a friend gave me recently. I was telling her about a situation and how I was fearful of making a move because I wasn't sure if it was the right one. She told me that I couldn't be held in fear. She said, you have to take a step and then God will show you the next one. He'll catch you if you fall, but you have to trust him first. That's really good advice. How about the challenges? If you see someone struggling in your life, reach out to them and ask if you can help in some way. All right, and we'll see you next week here on The Word on the Word. Bye. Great insights this week to help us navigate our faith and also to get deeper in our closer walk with God. Thanks for hanging out. If you want to check out more, again, Podcast Central at EWTN.com backslash radio, and we'll do it again next weekend. Have a great one, and as the kids head back to school, start praying them up now and have the best year ever. I'm Ace McKay. Remember to let God define who you are, and I'll see you back next week with Catholics Coast to Coast.